Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towles and we are champions of the Community Shield. Yay! That's fun. Absolutely. Everyone loves us. We truly are the people's champions. So, before we get into the pods, I'm joined by two people and what we're going to do is something we haven't done before, but we're going to start doing now. And I'm just going to explain it quickly so you're not listening and very confused. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start each podcast with a pot shot question that I'm going to ask each of our co-hosts and they're going to give an answer instead of saying something normal and boring like, hello, how are you? Today, I am joined by Seb and Manus. Manus, who is going to finish 17th in the Premier League this season? Oh my god. Okay, um... West Ham. Good answer. Seb, who's going to finish 8th in the Premier League this season? Tottenham. Also good answer. For what it's worth, I think my answers are Everton and... Chelsea. I'm very uncomfortable predicting who will finish 8th, but I'm going to go with Chelsea. Today we are going to review Arsenal's approach to the Community Shield game through the lens of our three new signings, Kai Havertz, Declan Rice and Urien Timber, and the roles that they played. We will then discuss some of the other standout points from the game before a quick preview of our Premier League opener against Nottingham Forest. But first things first, after eight straight defeats against Manchester City, we finally managed to beat them, and we've picked up a trophy in the process. Manas, how important do you think this win is going into the new season? I watched the game back today, and uh, having seen how we've played uh, during certain sections of the game, we definitely deserve to win this game outright. Um, I think we created like three pretty good clear chances. And probably should have scored at least two of them. So on the balance, I feel we created more and better. And in the end, I feel like we deserved the win. And just we've played so well before uh, before versus City, like in certain games, and just lost because we lack, you know, a little bit of quality maybe, and we make some, you know, mistakes in these games. Uh, at the ends, like. Tommy Asu passing the ball back and then when you concede a goal like that, it really knocks you. Um, but yeah, definitely good to finally win against them uh, at what's our second home Wembley, basically. So yeah, that was good. If I was going to pick one of the games that we played against City last season that this game most resembled, I think it's the first half of the first league game. We were confident and it looked like we actually had the belief that we could take, well, not not even take the game to City, because as we'll get on to, we were quite passive in the first 20, 25 minutes. But we could handle City, we could beat City and win a game against them on our own merits. I think one of the worst things about the second game against City, where we got absolutely pumped, is that we, it was as if we went into that game expecting to lose and then just played out the game in such a negative mentality. We like we just looked shaky all the way through. Whereas in this game, we looked calm, we looked composed, we looked confident, and we executed what we what I think was the game plan really, really well. Um, Seb, what are your initial thoughts? I had a different game in mind, actually, that I found comparable to this. Uh, 
And I actually said it to my brother while watching it before the Trossard equalizer came in. Um, because the Emirates home game was, I think, one of the most dominant displays we've had against the big side. We were incredibly good. We kept the ball well. They were the ones that were sitting off more passively against our play. Um, and what caused us to fall in that game was just uh, profligate finishing in the first half. Uh, what this reminded me of more so was the FA Cup game we played against them at the Emirates. Uh, not at the Emirates, at the Etihad where both teams neutralized each other pretty well with their off-ball shapes. It was a bit different because we were more aggressive in that game than we were in this one. Um, but generally a sort of 50-50 game where both teams neutralized each other pretty well with their approaches, ending up in a single moment that decided a game uh, that came around through a bit of an error, which both uh, times was basically the case. Um we obviously didn't lose the game, and I think that's pretty good. I mean, you just have to listen to what both players and coaches said after the game about wanting to prove that they could beat City, and you immediately get the impression that this is something that uh, is a blockade that's sort of gone away from them, uh, that will give them a definite boost uh, for the rest of the or the start of the league season, basically. Before I said that it was, it reminded me of the first Premier League game, I was kind of umming and ahhing in my head whether it reminded me more of the Premier League game and of the FA Cup game, and I think you've won me round to that one there. Let's drill into some of the things that we were wrong about, because we predicted what we thought the lineups were going to be coming into this game, uh, and we were wrong. Uh, well, Manus, more specifically, you were wrong, as we asked you to predict the lineups, and then we... Chain, we said what we thought would be different. Admittedly, we were also wrong, but you were the one that was wrong to start with. Uh, so what do you make of the lineup decisions that Mikel Arteta made? Yes, yeah, so forced into the striker change, first of all, because of issues. Um, I think he's going to be back soon. We, like, we predicted a lot of things for him this season. Uh, but didn't didn't expect Havertz to go into nine, of course. Uh, I, I, Thought that he would stick with Eddie, uh, but perhaps he wanted more security in the middle to play Rice and Party together, which perhaps prompted the, th- the decision to go with Havertz up top. And uh, I predicted that uh, Kiviwar would start left back and Timber would start at right back. But I guess on the balance of uh, the preseason, we, we saw Timber do a little bit of left back right um just to bed him in and to because we're playing both rice and party i think i think a little bit of thought process there might have been to try and get timber ahead of the ball into the eight well well sort of you know in the uh in the beginning when uh shaka started to play that left eight he would just occupy the left left back role to allow tyranny to go forward so it's a sort of similar dynamic uh to allow timber to come inside and play a little ahead of the ball. Uh, so yeah, I mean, on the edge of it, I don't I don't really mind because that's what these players have been signed for, right? Versatility, just come in, plug and play wherever, like, there's a requirement. So I'm not too fussed about the lineup. What do you make of Timber at left-back specifically? Because I'll be honest, I haven't watched any of the preseason games that we've played other than this one. 
Uh, and I was a bit surprised to see Timber lining up at Wembley in the left-back berth, but I, I think he did well enough in the position. Uh, Manas, do you think he performed well? Yeah, I think he was he was really good, except like one pass where he just sold party shot a little bit. Uh, didn't amount to much in the end. I mean, he's technically at such a high level and, um, you know, sort of man, what Man City tried to do was find their fullbacks arrive dynamically onto the ball during, you know, diagonal switches. And he was so, like, unbothered, nonchalant. Like, he blocked a couple of crosses. He blocked a shot. Like, he was just really confident in what he was doing. Didn't feel like, like this guy, you know, usually played right centre-back, right back. So, I think he's just very confident technical high level so it, it helps like he can he could play anywhere across the back line maybe even in midfield the more I'm watching him and I'm still kind of learning about him since I didn't really watch too much of him at Ajax uh, I found that the the snapshot we did on him with Case Van Hammond was is, is a helpful little sort of educational tool on him and I find a lot of things in his game that were mentioned there and that sort of translate to him uh, currently playing um, in the preseason games, he played one at right back, I think, and that was the Manchester United loss, where he inverted more and it became very chaotic because he tended to carry a lot more than he passed, and it sort of broke structures a bit. Um, he f- he felt a lot more comfortable in the left back role. I'm not necessarily sure why that is, um, but but he just was more secure, made himself more available and sort of simplified his game more. Um, I think it's a, another thing that Case actually mentioned was uh, him, his passing leaves a lot to be desired, I think. I think out of all his sort of roles, that's the thing where he's most limited um, just in which passes he selects and which passes he actually backs himself in making. Uh, but defensively, I think he's extremely good, extremely springy and active in engaging with uh, his opposition players. He carries extremely well and sort of secures that side in something that we've done against Monaco as well, I think, which was not really building out out of a three and sort of more uh, focusing on having a flat four at the back and a double pivot and moving on from there. Yeah, I think with his passing, uh, which both of you have mentioned as being perhaps a bit of a weakness, and big blaring alarm of I have only watched this one game of Urian Timber alert, but like watching him specifically in that left back role, I think it's the incisiveness which t- which Zinchenko provides passing from left back. Yep. that is missing, because Zinchenko really loves a line-breaking pass. He loves them so much, yep. and I don't think we saw Timber attempt attempt anything like that in the Community Shield, uh, which probably is an example of him being a bit more restricted in his passing range than Zinchenko is. What surprised me about Timber Timber's game is how wide he was playing. Like, when I heard that he was playing at left-back, I was expecting to see him pulling inside a lot and spending a lot of time 
next to either Partey or Rice in a pivot. And while that did happen on a couple of occasions, the vast majority of the time he was actually a lot wider. Even when he moved up the pitch, he was pretty wide. He was in, admittedly inside of Martinelli a lot of the time, but he wasn't like massively inside. He was like a couple meters inside of Martinelli, offering a rotation option, offering a bounce pass. So I, I think the whip that he provided surprised me a little bit. That interplay with Rice that you mentioned, Manus, I really liked as well. I, I think Rice looked very comfortable dropping into the left-back zones and allowing Timber to go forward ahead of him. So, all in all, I think it was a really, pretty solid performance from left-back from Timber. Let's look a little bit more at that double pivot then, because... We expected going into the game that Parse would not be playing and it would be Rice and then Havertz and Erdegaard ahead. As you mentioned, Manus, the injury to Jesus meant Havertz started up top and we saw a midfield three of Rice, Partey and Erdegaard, which more in practice was a double pivot of Rice and Partey with Erdegaard up ahead of them. I personally think this worked really well, especially out of possession. It made our mid-block very secure, very difficult for City to get through. And in transition situations as well, Rice really showed off what he can do in defensive transition. And like, there's one clip in particular of him chasing back, I think it's De Bruyne, and just nicking the ball off him like he's nothing. And I think it's Bernardo, actually, but... Yeah, it was Bernardo. Yeah, he he gets the second ball and then he just checks and he sees Rice lumbering towards him and he just causes <laughs> and him he to takes take a, a heavy touch. Loose touch, yeah, yeah. And then Rice just legit sprints yeah. around him and gets just the ball. knocks him off the ball as if he's not even there, as if he's just running onto a loose ball. I mean, it's marginally less impressive it being Bernardo Silva than Kevin De Bruyne, but by the by, the point is Rice is good and Partey was pretty good as well. We'll come to Seb's Partey hate party in a minute. Um, but Manus, what did you make of Rice in the eight? Yeah, I think um, in in terms of build-up, uh, there's an ongoing theme that I started noticing in the preseason. I didn't think they'll, they, you know, Arada would carry it over so soon. Um, by the way, any discussion on Rice should be caveated with the fact that he's playing at 75% fitness right now. Um, I read uh, on Twitter, like somebody in uh, from a club insider or something said that he's playing at 75% fitness. He's not 100% right now. Uh, and I think there's there's this interesting thing where both teams sort of nullified the build-up, central build-up. Uh, you know, uh, receiving passes centrally was a little difficult. So what we did was depending where the ball is, one of the pivot would go into that uh, centre-back position. So, uh, Sorry, to be clear, are we talking about our build-up here? Our build-up, yes. Cool. So, during build-up, party would go into um, the right centre-back and uh, to push wide higher, which then pushes Saka inside, uh, as we sort of predicted earlier in one of our pods, right? Similarly, White would, uh, sorry, Rice would uh, drop as a central centre back or go left back to push Timber wide to sort of receive ahead of the ball. So 
we basically would either have one pip single pivot during our build up or no one sort of get towards finding the center back having them go wide and then pushing the ball through so if you see this first half the two really good chances we created both of them came from the right mm. uh, it was like finding saka in the box like uh, through a through ball first time it was i think it was white by saliba and then the second time again i think it was saliba who found uh, it was odegaard who found saka sort of in the half space in the ball so i think we sort of abandoned the center and build up and city sort of didn't do that in the first half but they sort of copied that when uh, the second half started and they made their changes and then they pushed bernardo in, in into the pivot and he would sort of drop out of the block to receive uh, i think both teams sort of mimicked each other in some way and sort of cancelled each other out a little bit as well but our pivot like they played really well rice was really important in the press as well he just didn't allow rodri he was man marking rodri he didn't allow him to pass forward i think i didn't see a single forward pass from rodri in the first half i think so, i mean rice was incredible i think our press and shape were incredible we didn't get beaten so yeah i think it was pretty good that like vacation of the central space that you mentioned i thought was most obvious watching a replay of city's first goal I I don't know if you'll be able to see this on any random highlights package you can find but on the highlight that I saw there was a alternate angle shown that shows the whole pitch uh and you can see when Foden receives the ball with Partey at his back both teams have basically just got two lines of five with a massive gaping hole in the middle uh which is really really interesting um But yeah, on to Rice more specifically. A lot of people have been mentioning on Twitter what you said at the end there Manus of how Rice would basically sit on Rodri especially in the first half in the first 20 25 minutes and stop him from being able to do anything and it worked so well. Like he couldn't do anything. They tried to swap Rod pull Rodri out into the defensive line and put stone push stones up a couple times trying to see if stones could do anything. Rice just stood on his toes as well and stopped him. It was a very very effective pressing structure from us, I think, and it just completely stifled anything that City tried to do. It's one of I think the most impressive things about our performance is the way that we nullified City especially in the first 25 minutes. Seb, do you have anything to add on Rice? Not necessarily. I'm, I I was pretty impressed by him especially in the first half. Also on the ball he he added a lot of value to what we did i think um yeah i think the primary consideration behind playing both of them was having two natural defenders in the subtle block considering we did come out with a sort of considered effort to be more passive and to sort of calculate with the fact that we would sit in a more consolidated block rather than always pressing high uh and just having those two guys there that can sweep up uh dangerous in and around them and sort of compact the middle was probably the main consideration behind them playing together there and i think especially on the defensive end they did a relatively good job at that yeah yeah i i agree 100% like i reckon they were picked because of their physicality and because of their defensive solidity especially in that 4-4-2 block that we play often 
and I think they were really good in that. Uh, lastly, of the new boys, we mentioned him right at the top, but Havertz played up front, which is a position... Have we seen him play up front before in pre-season, or is this his first appearance up front for us? It's the first time he played there, yeah. First time up front for us. Um, and I think he led the line pretty well. I think, for me, the thing I was most impressed by was his ability to hold up the ball. Like, we went long to him a few times, and, like, he did a good job of using his body to hold off City's centre-backs and keep hold of the ball, which is something that I wasn't sure he'd be able to do very well. Um, I'd heard things about him not being good at using his height and his physicality in that way, so to see him do it quite well was reassuring. Um, also... Manus mentioned earlier how we had three major chances in the game. Two of them did fall to Kai Havertz, and unfortunately, he did miss both of them. Uh, so let's let's start with that. Seb, what do you make of Kai Havertz's performance, and specifically the two chances, what he done miss? All right. Um, I think he generally had a good game as a nine, um, especially in the first half. He dipped a bit in the second half, I think. Sort of the start of the second half until he was actually able to get a little bit more behind once we put on Eddie. Um, his holder play is generally pretty good. I think it's something that actually was quite good at Chelsea, but they played in a different way. He didn't really get to show his aerial ability all that much, I think. I think most of the holder play he actually did was sort of more close to him being able to put his foot on the ball and so on. Um, I think generally there are two things with Havertz. One is, um, I still don't think he's very good at actually pinning defenders or sort of engaging defenders to a point where other, where he creates, uh, space for other people to play. Uh, that's actually something that became a downfall point in the German national team when he played center forward there. Um, and sort of his brightest moments, I feel, came when he actually was able to drop and receive the ball and play from there. And in that situation, he's receiving the ball in positions that are typical of an 8-10 player, which I'm, I still personally believe he is. But he did well for the situation he was put in. I think, again, similar to Partey and Rice playing together, I think playing Harvards as a 9 as opposed to Eddie was a tactical consideration specifically for this match, uh, just to have a focal point where we are just more able to punt balls into those areas and have him compete for balls. I'm pretty certain that come Saturday he will, uh, that Eddie will probably play center forward. Could be wrong. Um, and on the two chances that he had in the first half, um, both came from a similar situation of Saka having the ball and sort of giving him service into the penalty box. The first one, I think he actually does extremely well to get a shot off. He was immediately rushed by two people, was able to sort of roll behind and get a shot off in a very congested area. It wasn't a chance that I would ever say is something that has to be scored or is even likely to be scored in that situation. Um, the second, I think it's fair to criticize him for not scoring or just to say that there is a chance he could have scored. I think he does well. He's in a situation where he can only uh, strike the ball with his right foot. Uh, he has 
a defender next to him and a defender in front of him that sort of closes off the angles at which he can shoot. Um, and it just creates a situation where he has that one angle to go and he hits it pretty well and, and Stefan Ortega was able to save it. Um, I wouldn't say that those were sort of indicative, oh, Harvard's missed a big chance situations. It was more so good defending by City and Harvard's maximizing the opportunities he actually had when he was in the box. Manus, what do you think of Havertz more generally? Yeah, I think I pretty much agree with what Seb said. Uh, he doesn't strike me as the number nine, you know. Um, he did win one ball, like Seb mentioned, like it came to him on his feet, so he gathered it really well. Uh, but he didn't win any aerials. Um, he probably won one uncontested one. That was like in the opening first two minutes. Um, but yeah, I think he's general play was good. Uh, I know I said the fact that he was selected to be a striker was a technicality based on, you know, Arteta probably wanted to protect the central areas more. But he's definitely an option there. Uh, and I don't mind, you know, seeing him at striker, but I would rather he be somewhere on the pitch where there is a larger volume of touches that he can take. I think he's he'd be more yeah. dynamic there. Yeah, and I do still think that we'll see more minutes of Harvard's playing in some kind of midfield capacity than we are seeing Harvard's playing nine. Yeah, I reckon he'll probably start from midfield against Forest, especially given we're at home yeah. uh, and not playing City, so there's no need to play uh, Rice Partey, super defensive midfield pivot. Uh, I reckon he'll start from the left eight at Forest. But then again, we said we'd we said he'd probably start from the left eight. In, against City, and we were wrong, so we'll find out, I suppose. Um, I think we have spent enough time talking about the new boys. I, I think the other eight players on the pitch, the regular starters for Arsenal last season, I don't think there was anyone who performed a role particularly differently to how they would have done last season. So I don't think it's much... There's too much to dig into tactically on everyone else, which is why we really zoned in on the three new boys. Uh, but is there anything interesting that you spotted in the Community Shield that we haven't spoken about thus far? I'd like to say how good we were down the right side, specifically. Because everything we did came through the same part of three or four players, which are consistently playing, consistently playing through the right side. Odegaard, Saka, White, mm. Saliba. And two of the two of our chances were made by on for, through the right side. And I think because of the familiarity. So I, I just like to mention that. And if you go, it's it's interesting if you go on to one of those, you know, rating websites like Fort Fort Mob or SofaScore, uh, there's a clear like halfway divide, like the right side is all green and the left side is all, you know, red in terms of rating. And I think Odegaard's performance is worth highlighting. I think it's interesting that while out of possession, he was one of our two most advanced players. I think most of the good things that he did on the ball uh, actually happened deeper in midfield. Like, for example, he was not part of our attacking line of five when he played that ball through to Saka to make one of those major chances that we talked about before. Uh, and I think some of his best passes, best touches came in and around the centre circle. 
Um, we've established on this podcast before that when we get into a settled attacking shape, we have a front five of players spread out along the front line. Uh, and I think it's interesting that quite a few times in this game, our front five was left to right. Martinelli, Timber, Havertz, Saka, White. We saw, So Timber inverting on the right and then Saka cutting inside from the left. Whereas a lot of the time we saw Saka as the wide right player last season with Erdegaard inside of him. Manas, you mentioned Saka coming inside more earlier. Uh, do you, would you like to expand on that? Yeah, I think the way to get Saka to score more goals this season is to find him in the half spaces. So we need to push him inside. And we saw that um, in the community shield where right went on to be white went on to be the right finger and Saka came inside. And this was, this was pretty deliberate on our part. Even when City were pressing high and we were in deep build up. So the only two options, assuming that we've been pressed towards our right side, and Saliba has the ball or either White has the ball deep. There's only a couple of options. Like either you punt it downfield or you pass it centrally inside into the half space. And if you look at the game, if you like go back to the first half, Saka received a couple of really good balls in the half spaces from the build-up and like created a transition. And there was another time when it happened from the left side. He completely left his wing and came inside. This is a sort of dynamic instead of complete letting them him hold the width completely because he's much more comfortable on the ball. Uh, we can now start finding him in central spaces. I think he'll mm. like assist more goals. He'll score more goals through this. And this also allows Odegaard to play slightly deeper or perhaps rotate towards the wing as well. So I think this season, instead of being a lot more rigid, I think we'll be more dynamic and more rotational in terms of build-up and, you know, how we arrive into the final third. I think you'll be a threat off the ball from that inside space as well, not just on the ball. Uh, for example, as mentioned earlier, those seam runs, so runs between the left-back and centre-back that he made, that's just a big chance button, basically, if we can find him in that space for a cutback. He's so good at it. And I, I think if we can continue to find him in those spaces, it will be very, very dangerous and a very good way of us creating chances. Because I don't think people can stop him from making those runs. Seb? It's also just very illustrative of how good Saka actually is and probably the fact that he's our best player because he's the first guy we use when we play, a back five, uh, when we play against a team with a back five to sort of press the fifth man in defense and become the fifth man in defense if they overload. He becomes the de facto right back. He's the best player we have at temporizing the game from the wing and sort of him isolating players and letting the team move upfield with him having the ball. He's our primary creator. He's our primary scorer for most of the season. He's the one that makes those seam runs that creates chances. He's the one who is probably best suited to scoring outside of the box basically any situation you can put him in, he is someone who gives the team incredible value. Um, and that just illustrates how unbelievably good he actually is. A lot of the discussion from rival fans of Saka 
this preseason has been how he ran hot last season. Uh, and hopefully, based off the form that he's been showing both in preseason and in this Community Shield game, he's showing that it's not just a one-off hot streak from him. He'll be able to consistently produce at a high level. Uh, if that's true, I suppose we'll just have to find out over the course of the season. One final thing I want to touch on from the Community Shield before we move on is the increased amount of added time. It was a major talking point across the Football League this week and in the Women's World Cup as well as the added time rules that were trialled in the Men's World Cup in Qatar of like basically penalising time wasting to a much greater extent essentially and adding on a lot more time for situations where not much time was added on in the past and we saw eight minutes of added time become 11 minutes of added time with a head injury that allowed us to get the equalizer in this game do you guys think that the increase in added time will lead to a change of approach from Arteta in how he makes his substitutes uh, or in how he rotates the squad? Or do you think we're going to continue to play in a similar way into how we were with less added time? I think there's a discussion to be had generally on the whole World Cup added time thing. Um, I find myself personally more in the camp of someone who is in favour of it uh, one to just guarantee a sort of minimum of actual playing time to the people who buy tickets to watch games. It's a sort of general thing. Um, and just to, to sort of condition players to pull less time in situations where they're currently doing theatrical things, but that's an aside. Um, I do see the camp of people who say that A, it could be a disadvantage to less less talented and less sort of advantaged teams. I can see that. I think we said similar things when the five sub rules started, um, and that never really turned out to be the case. Um, and I just saw Rafa Veron uh, tweet about it, saying it's a sort of another step towards increasing minutes and increasing loads on players. Um, Relating to your question, I'm skeptical of it being a margin big enough to change thinking of substitutions. It could lead to more sort of 85th minute substitutions, cognizant of there being more than just five minutes that are being played. It might be 10, it might be 15, depending on the state of the game. But I'd be surprised if it's uh, any more than just marginal things. Yeah, I don't think I did a great job of explaining the premise of the question. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is what Rafa Varane was talking about on Twitter, where an, an additional eight to ten minutes doesn't seem like that much in the course of like a one-off game, but over the course of the season, we could see players racking up two, three, four, whole extra 90s worth of minutes from these added time changes if they continue being large sections of added time as they are. And like if 
do we think that will affect player fitness? Do we think the management team at Arsenal will anticipate that affecting player fitness and therefore change the way in which they're making substitutions? Manas. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an interesting question to ponder because we could probably start seeing substitutions which were made generally by managers around the 60-65 minute, 65th minute go into 70-75 minute. And once probably, if you think about it, once this rule, once we're perhaps 15-20 games into the season and teams realize, you know, the new castles of this world, they realize that it's really not worth doing because it adds time towards the end when the core of your team is fatigued and, you know, you might get hit worse. It might come down uh, and just ball might be in play for a longer period of time. But what Varane said and Seb mentioned, I think it's, it's an interesting dichotomy because it does add minutes to uh, the players already really full load, which should technically already have been there if you know the ball stayed in play for a longer period of time. So, I mean, it's an interesting question. I think we'll know more about this. Like, we'll see what sort of fitness levels, how it affects fitness levels, maybe 10, 15 games into the Premier League. Speaking of the season, I think it's probably about time that we get into having a look ahead at the Forest game. Let's take a quick break before we do that, though. We'll be back in a second. What a lovely break. I hope you enjoyed that little jingle, because we enjoyed sitting here for 15 minutes and trying to figure out what on earth we were going to say about Nottingham Forest, because that is who we are playing in the Premier League opener and we actually lost our last game against Forest. Uh, I would completely understand if you blocked that game out of your memory the moment it happened Uh, but it was a 1-0 loss away and it was right in the middle of the oh my god we're terrible pre-season slump. Seb what do you remember from the last Forest game? So I think there were both tactical and non-tactical things that led into the Forest defeat. For us, it was the second to last game of the season, the last home, uh, the last non-home game of the season where we actually tried. The first game after losing the title. Uh, for Forest, it was the decider of if they were going to stay up or not. And their last home game of the season. And they picked up basically all their points at home. Their home support gained them more points than anything. They had like seven away points all season last season. Um, And their crowd was electric that game. So those were the sort of non-tactical things that sort of played into that. Um, But there were also some tactical failings that came into play that game. It was the first time Thomas Partey played right back for us. It was the first time we played uh, Jakub Kivyard left back to put Ben White back into the central defense. We also played Leandro Torsad right, uh, at left wing that game. And what ended up happening was a sort of extreme congestion towards the center and right side of the field against the team that set up in a pretty stodgy 5-3-2 block um, where your main aim would be to sort of combine down the sides and sort of stretch the team vertic- uh, horizontally, which was not something we were able to do because all the left-sided players we had tended to drift inside and sort of congest the center of the pitch to a point where that was a stalemate and they scored through a single individual error from us. 
But I think we can't read too much into that. Again, largely down to the non-tactical factors I just outlined. Um, I actually watched Nottingham Forest just a few days ago. They played a friendly against Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, and they're sort of continuing the same things they're doing last season. They've found a pretty reliable core of players they're using. Um, their back three is largely Willy Bolly, um, Joe Worrell, and a third one that I can't remember right now. Uh, Sejorio basically plays every game. Ola Einak was just signed, who's very good and uh, is probably going to start left wing back. Uh, their midfield is pretty much always the same of Ryan Yates, Ole Mangala, and um, Danilo, the Brazilian guy that we wanted to sign. Uh, he's interesting because he was sort of brought to our attention at Arsenal as a sort of defensive midfield cover, and he's ending up playing a sort of high 8-10 position at Nottingham Forest. Um, alongside Morgan Gibbs-White, who's just an excellent all-round player, uh, and Brennan Johnson. They've also brought in Anthony Alenga, who's an option, though I think the 11 that started the Frankfurt friendly, which I just outlined, which was the front three of Danilo, Morgan Gibbs-White, and Brennan Johnson is probably what we're going to see at the Emirates. They have a relatively slow backline, which is something that can be exploited and was exploited um, in set friendly. Um, and sort of very how how adventurous they are based on where they are and who they're playing. Like they're a lot more willing to engage you when they are at home. Um, I remember the home game we played them uh, last season where we dominated basically possession for the entire 90 minutes and they were very, very comfortable in sitting back. I don't imagine them causing too much of a threat to us. And I believe it's a game where able to control relatively easily based on everything I've just said beforehand. Thank you, Seb, for that very comprehensive um, overview of Forest. Manus, I, I don't want to just make you the predict the lineup guy, but what do you think the lineup's going to be? I was so wrong last time. Um, <laughs> I think Timber is going to keep playing because... He's just like really good. So I would say like pretty much the same back forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Especially considering Zinchenko is not back. Yes. For those of you with a short-term memory, that is le- left to right, Timber, Gabriel, Saliba, White. Yeah. And for this game, because I fully expect them to go 5-3 to deep block, just playing on the edge of their box. We don't really need to play Rice and Party together. So you could sacrifice one to bring in another attacker. So maybe you could sacrifice Party, put Rice at six, because this would be a good game to give Rice the number six, uh, as he take, you know, he'd be recycling a lot of possession. I don't expect them to really press us that hard because this is gonna sit off and try to get us on the transition. Uh, so you could probably start with Trossard in, as an interior, or you could also give ESR his first first start of the season. Uh, but I think the right side is going to be pretty much the same. So I'd say Martinelli um, and Ketia. 
uh, SACA, the fund three, and then you either go Trossard or ESR in midfield with Odegaard and Rice and then the back four. Predicting what I think Arteta will do, I think we will see Trossard up front and Havertz in the left eight. What I would like to see that I don't think Arteta is going to do is starting Jorginho at the six instead of Partey and instead of Rice. Uh, the reason for clarity why I'm not starting Rice at all is the fitness problems that you mentioned earlier, Manus. I want to be, I think we should be pretty careful about that. I think if there is a nugget of truth to that, then Partey will start ahead of Rice against Forest because I think that's what Arteta will do. Seb, did you have any major disagreements with either Manus or I? I think I have one slight difference. I I agree that we're probably going to see the same back four as the Community Shield. I think, considering it's the first game and we're still acclimatizing to the new signings, that Partey will probably start at the six. Even though I agree with you that I would rather see Jorginho there. I think we're going to see Harvard's in the eight. And what I what I would like to see is Leandro Chosa on the left and Eddie Nketiah up front. Why? Given, given we talked earlier about Trossard at left wing being bad, why? I think we found more ways to get Trossard into favourable positions from the left side. I think he himself is just a lot more dynamic than he was at the tail end of last season. Um, we found dynamics working with him there. Uh, we saw it in the Barcelona game, especially with uh, Kai Havertz playing the eight. There's just more dynamic options of him Drifting inside in another player, be it Timber, who's a more who holds the width more, or Harvard's going outside to backfill those positions. I think those dynamics work better, and I think generally just Leandro Sosa is someone that I think should start the season as a starter and not a substitute. Thank you to both of you for joining me on today's episode. Uh, I think we've had a very good discussion of uh, the Community Shield uh, and I hope you've enjoyed being part of it. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at PotshotPod. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and threads at PotshotPod also. Subscribe to our podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode. New episodes on Tuesdays going forward. It will happen. And make sure you leave a review as well. If you leave us a review that's good, then it tells the podcast algorithms to make other people listen to our podcast which always helps so please do leave us a good review um we will be back next week with a review of the forest game and almost certainly a different panel so make sure you stay tuned to find out who's going to be on the episode next week thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week cheers